Hi, everyone. I am Sarah Edmondson, and I'm here with... Hi, I'm Anthony Ames, Sarah's husband, a.k.a. Nippy. And we're here to talk about things that are... A little little bit culty. Speaking of, we were in a cult, and we woke up, thank goodness, and we have a lot to say. And a lot to ask. This podcast is going to be a deep dive into everything from the red flags to the narcissism, the manipulation, the resiliency, the recovery process, and everything in between. Also, we want to share some of the good we got out of it so you can get all the nuggets without having to join a cult. If you haven't already, because there are a lot of things out there that are just a little bit culty. Welcome to A Little Bit Culty, a podcast about the fads, beliefs, and trends that blur the line between healthy and a little bit culty. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And find us on Instagram if you have any suggestions for things you have found to be a little bit culty. Under the surface, the water fills my lungs. This ground I worship has swallowed up its young. And you can for a promise. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to A Little Bit Culty. Hello, everyone. Hello. This is our first official episode with a guest. An expert, Sarah. Not just us. I think we're bored of each other, aren't we? After quarantine? No, never. Oh, sweetheart, you're so romantic. The love just deepens. (laughs) It just deepens. How is everyone? How are you, Sarah? I'm, you know, I'm good, babe. Good. I'm excited about this. I'm, Good. you know, our our guest is somebody who really helped us both. I think that he's got some wisdom that will help shape the rest of the sort of scope of our whole podcast. Yeah, hopefully he's going to give us a sort of a model, not sort of a model, a model, which we'll get into in the podcast that sets a tone for our season. Right, because people want to know what's the difference between something that is just a little bit culty and an actual cult. Right. And he does a good job of making those distinctions. And one of the things we realized since our first episode aired, and thank you everyone for listening and for your support and for typing in such great questions. We really appreciate that. And we'll we'll try to answer some of those today because people don't really know who we are. Um, even if you did watch The Vow, that was just like a certain segment of our life. And there's, there's a lot more to that. We're parents, we're actors, we're performers. We fell in love in Nexium. We got married there. We got out. We became whistleblowers, all that stuff. But there's still so much that um, that seems like people want to know and things that we want to ask. So go ahead, Nippy. You got a question from your friend? So the plan is we've decided to start our intros with a question that we've either pulled from the public. And one question that I picked was from a personal friend of mine from college. It's like, what are you going to tell your children? What conversation are you going to have with them? Because at some point they're going to be able to Google their parents and this is going to come up, which I thought was a great question. Do you want to chime in on it? Sure. I think that, you know, when the time is right, when the kids are older, I'd love to give them the book and they can read the whole story. But until then, I think actually what Troy knows now is that mommy and daddy stood up against somebody who was doing bad things and helped hold that person accountable. And he's now in jail. That's what he does know that now. But ultimately, I think that They'll want to know the whole story one day, and it just will come in levels of their ability to understand that. I actually would have preferred for him not to yeah. know that, but unfortunately, his sponge-like ears picked up on on enough to ask some questions, and that's what he knows. We've done a good job, but now he's at the point where he's starting to understand nuance. You can kind of see it download. You can see complexity get to his face, and you go, oh, he's starting to get that. He's starting to get that was a joke or that was... 
what you just said is great because uh, well, I'll start meeting him where he's at and answering his questions. And the questions are going to be a good indication of his level of understanding and what can take in. And then ultimately when he's at a point, we'll just go, look, mom and dad had to kick a little ass and put a guy away for 120. I hope, I hope they're proud of us. Right? I really do. And I think they will be as long as, as long as they're willing to understand the whole thing. I think that answers the question. I think you've got some tougher aspects of it to answer yeah. than I do. We'll leave that for now. Thank you. I got your back. <laughs> I got your back. I got your back. So now we're going to introduce our guest, our expert. Uh, who has recently become a doctor. He's one of the world's leading experts in undue influence in cults. He's been helping people wake up and leave cults for over 40 years as a mental health professional, consultant, and educator. He's the author of four books, including Combating Cult Mind Control, which we've both read, Freedom of Mind, and most recently, The Cult of Trump. He's also the founding director of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, an organization that specializes in providing acute intensive care for people exiting destructive environments, much like ours. He's who everyone from CNN to Harvard Medical School call for insights on cults because he didn't just write the book on it. He actually lived through one. Yeah, that's true. He was in a cult starting from the age of 19 years old, recruited by the Moon Cult, also known as the Unification Church, founded by Reverend Moon, self-proclaimed messiah and controversy magnet. Moon died in 2012, but his legacy and movement lives on and is more than a little bit culty. Stephen spent actually two and a half years with the Moonies as one of the top recruiters and fundraisers until in a pretty dramatic twist of fate in a car accident, um, he was able to get out and, and have the space that he needed to realize that he had been brainwashed. And since then, he's dedicated his life to becoming an expert on cults and helping people leave cults and come back from things like mind control, brainwashing, unethical hypnosis, abusive relationships, human trafficking, multi-level marketing, violent extremism, and all kinds of culty shit. And now, without further ado, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Sinking down to the depths of the ocean. Well, welcome, Dr. Stephen Hassan. How are you? I'm good, Sarah and Nippy. Nice to see you. Good to see you too, Dr. Hassan. Congratulations on that. Thanks. It uh, it's strange, but I love it. I worked so hard to get the uh, the doctorate. Yeah. How does that feel? It feels different because I kind of you know I've always been feeling for 45 years like I have to prove myself that I'm. I'm smart. You know, you should pay attention to me. And now I'm like, I'm the doctor. So it's like assume that I, that, I, that I know what I'm talking about, even though a lot of people have doctorates and they don't know anything about what they're talking about. Well, true. we are happy to have you on our very, very first official episode. We did record an episode together, uh, Nippy and I, last week. And this is our first official episode with a guest. And we wanted to start with you because... Well, it's no accident you're our first one. We both collectively appreciate the bite model. And the origin of this podcast stems from many people wanting to hear more about what to look out for, maybe even have a template. And our goal is to turn our experience into wisdom, even content. I've listened to you describe the bite model on a few podcasts so far. And I thought that's a great way to give people an understanding of what to look for, how it applies to what Nexium was, still is for some people, 
And there it is. And and this is the other part of the bite model that's critical for people to use, uh, which is the influence continuum. Yes, I've heard you describe that as well. It's this, that if a group is doing behavior, information, thought, and emotional control, it's authoritarian, Mm -hmm. and it's a destructive cult. Which gets into the ethical and unethical influence, correct? Which you describe, yes. Exactly. So it's those two models that work off of each other to help people uh, assess a controlling relationship or a multi-level marketing group Mm -hmm. or an unhealthy corporation. Politicians even. Politicians, dictators. Right. And we're going to do episodes about all of those things that you just mentioned. So we want to be able to refer back to the model and say, well, where does this fit in the continuum? Because that's the name of our podcast. It's a little bit culty. Just, Just a little, little bit culty. Bit and, culty. and where does it go from a little bit culty to, wow, that's a cult? Because as you know, and we've talked about before, Stephen, I thought I was in a cult. And I would say, yeah, I'm in a cult of happy, successful people. What's the bad thing? So this is the other thing, another model that I want to share with your listeners because you can be here and it doesn't feel culty at all. Mm-hmm. No, we can't. The listeners won't be able to see that. So we have to explain. Right. That. So what I'm describing is my my uh, pyramid structure graphic with circles coming out of the base that most people involved with a cult are what I call fringe members. Correct. And uh, so someone, for example, might have learn TM and all they do is 20 minutes of meditation twice a day. They never got pressured into doing the advanced courses and learning how to jump up and down in lotus position to so-called fly and believe that Maharishi is the greatest being on earth and that the world will blow up if you don't get 40,000 people who hop around and supposedly fly. So there are different elements of the same thing that it's critical for people to be able to have the big picture because that's really what you want to do. What I want to do is help people have perspective to counter blind faith, right? We want, we want to offer different models that people can, you know, there's not only one or two models. There are many important models and, Different ones resonate with different people's experience. The key is empowering people to think for themselves and making their own decisions. Right. And that that would underscore the point of different levels of indoctrination. Yep. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons, too, like particularly when Sarah and I were talking about this, many people came to us and go, were shocked because um, it was a goals program for them. And we know for a fact there's a lot of people that have left and haven't done any work. They haven't done any work on themselves to understand exactly. what happened to their brains. Exactly. And they're still walking around with indoctrination. Correct. And reconciling our delusion was one of the things that you know we thought was the first step, which is work. Mm-hmm. And your model, I think, provides a good understanding of that. Yeah. So what I've been seeing is just a phenomenon of people born into authoritarian cults, whether they're religious cults or political cults or therapy cults or communes or whatever. They they exit and they never understand what healthy looks like and understand what was done unethical to them. And then they're particularly vulnerable to getting sucked into another authoritarian relationship or cult because they've already been primed 
that this is, you know, a thing, a normal thing. When did Nexium first come on your radar? Oh, good question. Um, when what year was it started? It was started ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Probably around ninety-nine. Ninety-nine. Really, guess. that soon, huh? Well, my book, Combating Cult Mind Control, was out and was kind of still actually a go-to book for people who are having experiences and not sure what that whether what they were involved with was a cult. And then, you know, so somebody attending a Nexium course, reading the book, and typically people email me or contact me and say, hey, I was in this thing. And um, and I know that it may have been on my radar even before that as consumers byline because I was doing mm -hmm. work criticizing multi-level marketing cults um, even prior to that. So it's possible that Douglas Brooks, the attorney that's represented so many victims of consumers byline, and I go back a long ways as well. Now, can you go over the bite model for us? And then as Nexium started to get on your radar a little bit more, what were the things that were the red flags for you just based on what you were hearing about Nexium? And maybe we could fill in some things that we saw and, and vice versa. Yeah, I confess I did not prepare for this uh, That's and, all right. and open up the bite model as applied to Nexium, but it is on my Freedom of Mind uh, website and such. Um, and I do want to just um, start first, if I may, Nippy, sure. to say that I I was so helped by Lifton's model and Singer's model. Mm -hmm. and And yet, as I was still trying to figure everything out, when I learned about cognitive dissonance theory of Festinger, the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors were really... Uh, important and, and, and helped me understand the dual identity and the and the model shine used of unfreezing, changing, refreezing. That I I wanted to simplify it, mm -hmm. and so I started categorizing specific behaviors, specific information related things, thought and emotional things, and that's how the bite model evolved. I actually in 1988 had those four components in my original book. And it was a minister friend of mine, Buddy Martin, who helped me with a bunch of shepherding, discipling uh, cult cases, said, you know, if you change the order, you can call it bite and then people will remember it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, Buddy, Sorry. I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to do a shout out to Buddy Martin, who's down in Texas, to thank, thank him for that. Thanks, Buddy. Um, but um, so, you know, the thing is, is that, the goal of an authoritarian cult is to create a new pseudo identity that's dependent and obedient on the group. Like that's the goal. And so the most important thing of behavior control is dependence and obedience on the group or on the leader of the group. And I would add that I do believe it's possible to have an authoritarian ideological cult that doesn't have a guru or a charismatic figure, but it's a belief that's black mm -hmm. and white, all or nothing, good versus evil type of thing, which I just gave you three off the thought control, you know, panel. Um, but um, 
I want to say some other universals like deceptive recruitment. Mm-hmm. Like people say, well, what was wrong with you that you got into the Moonies? I'm like, my girlfriend dumped me and three women were really cute, were flirting with me. <laughs> and no one had taught me about how cults operate. Like that was the universal and that is still the universal vulnerability versus what the public tends to blame the victim and say, you were weak, you were uneducated, you were stupid, you didn't have a job or whatever, you didn't have an education. I had all of the, the, the I mean, I was mm-hmm. a very solid, you know, upbringing. But anyway, back to the bite model, the, some of the key things are deceptive recruitment, which means outright lying, withholding information and distorting information to make it palatable. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that a legitimate group that isn't an authoritarian cult will tell you upfront who they are, what they believe, and what they want from you before they ask you for money or a commitment. Right. And destructive groups will be like, oh, I don't want to spoil the experience. It's so incredible. You have to experience it for yourself, and then you can know what's really happening. It's like, well, my mind and my time and my body is really valuable, and I don't want to do anything Mm -hmm. that I don't know what's happening. Like, that was like a big takeaway, and is a big takeaway for most former members of authoritarian cults. Another thing that I want to emphasize is what seems to be the fear of punishment, right? I, I, I referred to it in, in originally in the bite model as phobia indoctrination, the implantation of irrational fears that if you challenge the leader or, uh, or, or want to leave the group, terrible things will happen to you. In other words, in the mind of a cult member, you can't imagine leaving the group being happy and fulfilled. Interesting. You can only generate really dark, scary images in your head or hear the indoctrination in your head that you're going to go crazy, you're going to commit suicide, you're going to get cancer, you're going to be invaded by demons. And I have four pages of the most common phobias in my book, Freedom of Mind. Can I jump in there for a second, Stephen? Of course. Um, I just had this awareness the other day that when I was leaving and read about that in your book, I was like, I don't have that. I don't think I'm going to be, you know, smitten by God. You know, what's it called? What's the word called? You get like, you know. Smitten sm- by smitten, God Smitten works. by God. That's the word, yeah. right? Judgment day. Judgment going day. To going to blind. But then right. I realized that when you were in Nexium, anyone who left, because people could leave. It's just when they left, the talk would be, and especially they went higher ranks. You'd hear things like, well, you know, Bob left. I guess they're never going to work on those issues. Isn't it sad that Bob's never going to get through that? And I really did feel like if I left, I would be stuck with my issues. Like that's that was the the equivalent because it's not a religious cult. Right. But that's that's the phobia that was implanted. And then I realized mm-hmm. recently that so I was in an acting program 20 years ago before Nexium, And I left because I found it a little bit culty. And I didn't even have the the language and the education mm-hmm. I have now. But looking back, I can say, well, it was very insular. The teacher was very authoritarian and no one could question her. But the thing also that I that they totally implanted in me was the phobia of if you don't stay in this group, you're never you're not a legitimate actor. Like you don't have the balls to be like depthy and really go there emotionally, which is why I left because mm-hmm. I felt like they were pushing on my boundaries, which they yeah. were. And it didn't. You know, and it didn't feel good. 
And to this yeah, day, exactly. I'm like, well, I'm just, I don't, I'm not that actor. I'm not a gritty actor. I still have that phobia implanted. I just figured that out. Good. So it's, it's, uh, what I can also say is that if you just stop going to classes and paying money, uh, they, they may send some individuals to come to try to persuade you, but it may not be heavy handed. Uh, but if you start speaking out against a, a, an authoritarian yeah. cult, then you get the real threats and the phobias. And you're you're trying to destroy the future of humanity on Earth because we're the only right. ones who are going to save the planet. And it's <laughs> like, who says? <laughs> like, I've heard that from about 2,000 different groups. Mm, which one of the, those is actually going to be real? It's Oh, Nexium was going to change the world, Stephen. Didn't you know? Right. So the but the 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 <laughs> thing. So the going back to the bite model. The bottom line is, you want to be healthy. You want to have the locus of control for your life in you, in your body, not with some external authority figure or some external group. Right. You want to have a critical faculties as well as your intuition and your spirituality, because if something's legitimate, it should stand up to scrutiny Mm. like always, not when you're first thinking about joining, but always because groups do change and your experiences can change as well. What, What I've learned is that the human mind is an amazing device, a biological device, but we are wired to adapt to our environment, whether it's physical environment, digital environment, we're wired to follow who we think are legitimate leaders. We're wired to follow who we identify with as, as, uh, as a peer group or as a, as a social group. And that's what's normal and that's what's healthy. And what's been missing is just that educational component to say, you know what? There are people who are psychopaths, who are malignant narcissists, who have no conscience and no empathy, and they get off on controlling people and exploiting them and abusing them sexually, psychologically, emotionally, just because they can. And it makes them feel powerful. And everyone needs to have that understanding. There's a very small Mm -hmm. percentage of psychopaths in the world, right? So you don't want to walk around paranoid that everyone's a psychopath trying to abuse you. But you want to have these warning, (laughs) warning, warning, warning. You know, when you hear someone go, I'm the smartest person on the planet. It, it, you know, I, I, I was recently contacted by a, a, a true believer still in Keith Ranieri, who was like, what evidence do you have that he's a narcissist? He, there's no sign of narcissism. I'm like, oh, so when he says that he's the smartest person in the world, what's that? Exactly? You know what, Stephen, that was one of the questions we had for you. And we won't mention any names. Right? No names. Yep. No names. We're but not... that person, you know, we talked about this. You don't you feel like you don't need to talk to Keith to make that assessment. Can you tell us why not? Yeah. Why is why? Yeah. That's a well, good how question. can you assess him? How can you assess him without meeting him? Can you explain that? 
Well, you know, to be honest, watching the vow that that you both were in, and thank you for your courage. Let me say again how much I appreciate you both for being willing to share your story so intimately with the planet. I think it's an incredible gift to mm-hmm. humanity. Um, you know, really smart people never need to say, I'm the smartest person in the room. Like my wife got her doctor from Yale and was a professor of anthropology. She never says I'm a PhD. She laughs that I say to people, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. She's like, people don't do that, Steve. And I'm like, well, let me do it for a little while. It feels really good <laughs> till it sinks in. Then I can take away the diploma that I stuck in the back. And okay, I've arrived. It looks great, by the way. Um, everything about his behavior just smacks of malignant narcissism, from lack of empathy to to grandiosity, to need of attention. Um, uh, paranoia, inability to trust, sadism, threatening, harassing. You can go down the entire list. I actually have a, a, a chapter three of the Cult of Trump book on malignant narcissism. I, I chose to compare Trump with um, Hubbard and Moon and um, Jim Jones, mm-hmm. but I, I think I put Ranieri in once or twice in that chapter just because I wanted to. I'm glad you did. In fact, we started to learn what had happened to us when we first got out and looked at the histories of all of those men, specifically Koresh and Keith. I found that a very similar upbringing and a very mm. similar, what did you call it? Insecure attachment. Yeah, that's the yes. latest theory that seems to make a lot of sense that in the first critical period after birth, I think it's 22 months, um, uh, and we're doing research right now on with former members of cults. If if the parent, meaning the mother primarily, but it could be a father or another authority figure, is not really responsive to the child and 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 loving that child and making the child feel really special and feeding the child when it's hungry and 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 diapering it and hugging it and singing to it, if that isn't done, the 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 wiring for the mm. for the self is not proper and one goes through the rest of one's life compensating that am i am i loved am i special you know it makes total sense and what's amazing through uh some of my training with one of my my professors daniel brown he has a whole attachment protocol that actually can address uh, what used to be thought of as um, personality disorders that were unchangeable. He says that uh, based on the healthcare systems of Europe, because they actually track what works, a socialized medicine criteria, wow. that they can actually help someone who's a narcissist become like healthy using hypnosis by teaching the person hypnosis. And I'll share with your listeners, because it's spectacularly simple. You need a real relationship with a therapist who acts like a a representative parental figure. But the idea is teaching the person to go back to key memories in their childhood and asking them to imagine if they had the ideal mother and the ideal father uniquely suited for their personality, what would they have wanted them to say or do? So it's an open-ended suggestion. The person does it in trance. 
and they create healing experiences in their imagination. But by imagining it, they're rewiring their neuronal structure, basically, to like a healthy parent or healthy parents. Um, and that speaks to neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, our capacity to heal, despite the most horrendous abuse and trauma that we may have been subjected to in childhood. And it should make people feel a lot more hopeful that they don't have to carry this heavy baggage with them for the rest of their life from their abused childhood. That is good. I don't think there's any chance of healing Keith at this point, though, right? <laughs> He's in jail. The, the thing with narcissists, and particularly malignant narcissists, and that's the sociopathic or psychopathic part, is they have to realize they need help. Help. They have to ask for help and be willing to go for treatment and trust, trust another human being. our stories. We change the world. A Little Bit Culty is proud to support the hashtag I Got Out Project, which empowers survivors of cultic abuse to share their stories online as a catalyst for education, prevention, and healing. Learn more about the hashtag I Got Out movement and find resources at igotout.org. So that's the biggest issue with anyone who's married to a narcissist or whatever. It's like trying to get them to agree that they need to work on themselves. They always say it's your problem. <laughs> For people who are unwilling to take in the Mount Everest of information that exists on malignant narcissists, Keith is our example that's popped up in my life, but in general, what motivates them? What kind of equity do they have in believing that, it's a case of the world misunderstanding Keith Raniere and not them misunderstanding Keith Raniere with the mountain of information. I've really taken inventory on how much pain, trauma of other people they have to ignore and delete and then attack to maintain their perspective. What motivates that? I understand the term cognitive dissonance, but at this point, it's so overwhelming. Like, How do they make the story work? When What would you say to them, if anything? So, you know, this is still a an emerging field of study with the radicalization of so many people in the United States. Uh, a lot of a lot of brilliant people are paying attention now and researching this. And my 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 work is being uh, uh, paid attention to. We're going to learn a lot more. But what makes sense to me is this notion of a dual identity model, a dissociative uh, uh, model. So, and to use me as the example, Steve Hassan, born in Flushing, Queens, New York, youngest of three, two older sisters, writing poetry, playing basketball, uh, going to college, uh, protested the Vietnam War movement, had a ponytail, uh, got into this cult. And now Moon and his wife are my true parents. 
Milton and Estelle are my physical parents. I have my hair cut. I put on a three-piece suit and I become a right-wing fascist thinking the Holocaust was necessary because the Jews didn't accept Jesus. So the two identities are really distinct. And in my case, because I fell asleep at the wheel of a van, almost died, was in a hospital away from the group, lured to my sister's house. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As you can probably imagine, being in a cult for over a decade took a toll on some of my relationships with my closest friends and family. And something that has helped me mend those relationships has been working on my most complicated relationship of all time, the one I'm having with me. Therapy has been a great place to work through all that tricky stuff and can help you in your relationships too, whether it's with your friends, your coworkers, your significant other, or anyone. Things like coping skills, boundaries, communication, you can practice any of that in therapy and see big differences. I swear by therapy. Oh boy, do I swear by it. Yep, I love this journey for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online and you can schedule around what works for you. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. No brainer. This is the time of year when people talk about finding their soulmates and you can always become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash culty today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash culty. Underwent a, a deprogramming. The real me surfaced, but the cult me was still very indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. I needed therapy, self-therapy and working with other people to go back through how did, you know, how did they get me? Like, where did they hook me? And I had to go back to the very first meeting mm-hmm. at Queens College and redo that one in my mind. If I knew then what I know now, what would I have done differently? And when Moon said, we're going to amend the Constitution and make it a capital offense for people who have sex outside of the Unification Church arranged marriages, instead of me saying, yes, Father, I imagine me saying, you're a nutcase. You're worse than Hitler. You want to do mass genocide because people aren't doing what you want them to do? I'm out of here, right? So what I'm trying to say to you, Nippy, is that when people... Even if they exit physically a cult, that identity, if their locus of control where they're operating is still the cult identity instead of their conscience and their real self, they're going to automatically dismiss any negative information about the leader, the doctrine, or the group. That's just how it works in authoritarian cults. So they're going to dismiss it. When I'm counseling people to help them potentially reevaluate, what I want is to ask them to step to a third position to have perspective. Maybe the cult is great and maybe it's not great. Let's do, you know, let's do evidence gathering. (laughs) But let's start this analysis from a neutral perspective that isn't biased one way or another. And let's look at the actual behaviors, and especially the cult leader's own words and actions figure mightily, but also the testimonials of people who are in the inner sanctums of the leadership. Their testimonies are really important too. But one needs to have the grounding uh, and the opportunity to step back. And what I'm going to say one last thing, if I may, 
what what's so different now in the 21st century and particularly in the last couple of years mm-hmm. is people are so glued to their smartphones and to the internet mm-hmm. that they never have time away to think for themselves. They're constantly flooded with notifications and likes and requests for meetings that that ability to reality test is circumvented. So what I'm asking everyone who's listening to this is to really count how many hours you're on line. You need to reduce that and you need time alone. You need time with real human beings. I know it's hard in the pandemic, but we need to reclaim our personal power as human beings. Well, that's my speech. Well, there's one follow-up there because it sounded like you were willing to admit that you were indoctrinated. And in order to get them to a point where they're, quote, to, to use your words, to step back, you had a physical experience happen to you, right? And it seems it's rather obvious that, you know, for people who are still indoctrinated, that the principles they profess to uphold or, or claim, they're actually undermining and destroying in the process of supporting their indoctrination or using their cognitive dissonance. How does that break or does it ever break? When you're in one of these totalist authoritarian cults, if you're not having quality interactions with non-believers, which could be, you know, your siblings, it could be your um, uh, friends, teachers, ministers, whatever, if you're only focusing on the 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 cult for information of reality testing um it's going to be take you a lot longer to get out people do have bad experiences uh that or and they can also be kicked out just at the whim of the cult leader too but what i'm trying to advocate globally is if you have a friend or family member in qAnon or any type of of a destructive cult. And I do think QAnon is a cult, not a conspiracy theory. But the point is, is reach out to them and stop trying to argue them out of it or tell them that it's wrong. Just say, I care about you. I respect you very much. And I I really uh, appreciate your commitment to wanting to save the planet. I'm I'm there. I want to save the planet too. Yeah, we're teammates in that. Yeah, and 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 please convince me that I need to join your group and, and that your group is doing something that can't be done anywhere else in a more effective way. So you take a frame where the burden of proof is on them to prove how great it is instead of you trying to say it's wrong. And you take a p- position, hopefully, that will be reciprocated of, hey, I'm not perfect. I could be wrong. I could be, you know, brainwashed by the the libtard media and the cult of Soros. I've tried to investigate anything that people have told me to to test that, but it doesn't seem to be. But if, if you have evidence that I'm brainwashed, let's talk about it. And and uh, ultimately, people help themselves exit a cult as opposed to me getting them out of a cult or persuading them to leave a group that's a cult. Sarah and I had been disenfranchised for quite some time with Nexium. If we were a platoon, morale was low. I'll put it to you that way. Sarah and I were, were already making plans to pursue other avenues. In fact, 
goals that we had already set before. It was a goals program. We recognized we were helping other people achieve their goals, which I love to do, which was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun getting in there and seeing people overcome emotional limitations and stuff like that. And I always maintain the more peripheral you were to Keith, the more that's what the program was. The closer you got to him is when things were, were ugly. It, it, we dreaded going to Albany because it felt like going to Albany, we mm. were going to a funeral every time. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes we were, which it, in hindsight was scary. So, you know, the pivot for us to leave had an element of relief to it. I didn't like, obviously, the yeah. circumstances under which we had to do it. You know, it was pretty traumatic recognizing your wife had been abused right in front mm-hmm. of you and then having to reconcile, you know, how it happened and then having to be in a fight for, you know, however long we were. But I wasn't upset about leaving. I had been disenfranchised for a while, probably since 2012, when I had a conversation with one of the people in the upper ranks. It's like, we're supposed to be helping the world, but we're doing trainings with like 30 people in them once a month in cities. We're throwing rocks at tanks. This mission that we're going on and didn't seem to be thriving. And we had real problems with that. And a lot of the problems that were happening were in Albany, just trying to get things set up. So it was easier for us because we still had ambitions and also feel like we had something to go back to. And you had each other, right? Like we had strong family. Yeah. We had strong family bonds. Like, you know, I was never going to let this get in, get in the way of my family. You know, they tried to run a training over Thanksgiving and they really pressured me. And I told them to fuck off. I go, look, I'm going home to see my family and they're more important than anything. You had actually skipped a training to go watch mm-hmm. um, the Rose Bowl one time. <laughs> Sarah was giving me shit. I was like, no, I'm yeah. going to fucking watch the Rose Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to just comment that uh, what you touched on is something that I've encountered with many cults, including Scientology, which Keith stole from a lot, along with NLP. Yes. And- a yes. number of other cults. We're going to get into that but, too. Um, yeah. Hey, the group, let's take Scientology for a minute. It was founded in 54. How many active members are there now? Uh, right. Eight, billion, eight million, you say, in the U.S.? Can, what's that based on? Because every everyone that knows anything about Scientology says there's maybe ten to 20,000 people. Where's the eight million people that, you know, you talked to on the street corner and did a personality test? And if it's been that many years and there's only 20,000 and you are, are dedicating your life to, to, to promote this group... What's the odds that in another 20 years of dedicated service, <laughs> that there'll be more than 20,000 people in it? And why? Why would anyone join a group that's been so thoroughly dis- discredited and outed by so many top leaders who've left the cult? And, you know, I part of a calculation after my deprogramming moment was, you know, I want to believe Moon is the Messiah. I want to believe that the world's going to become a Garden of Eden, that there won't be any uh, uh, wars and there won't be poverty and there won't be starving children. But if it's not true and he's not the Messiah, I could spend another 50 years in this group and nothing will change. And why would I do that? I've got a life. I'm smart. I'm, I, I want to accomplish real things and make a real difference. And that helped me exit. I actually saw a video of this amazing dancer on Instagram and she was just doing this cute little moves for like a quarantine thing. And I thought, 
I'm not going to use names. There's somebody who's still very loyal to Keith, who's an incredible dancer, former dear friend of mine. I was like, that's what she would be doing if she wasn't trying to get Keith out of jail. She'd be making cute videos on Instagram and back to acting and having yeah, a life. And I me want too. that for her. I don't even know who you're talking you about, know? but I want, yeah. there's so many talented <laughs> people who are brilliant and gifted who yeah. are just being exploited and abused and not giving their, their talents to humanity and to their, their families and friends and children. They're, they're being spiritually raped and they're calling it growth. And it's, you know, I see a lot of these people that are still indoctrinated and making a case and I cringe because I don't want to criticize and, and because, you know, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to see people that were former friends of mine really getting a platform that they think is being noble, but they're being shown as case studies and often laughed at. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough to watch. And even though their venom might be directed at Sarah and I and other people who left, I still feel like I know that person. This isn't, they're robots. They'll come out. I believe they're going to come out because Keith's not leaving jail. I did have a fear that Trump was going to pardon him. And I'm so glad oh he didn't. I did have a fear. I have to admit, I had a fear, you know, uh, of a bunch of things that didn't happen, like a dirty bomb going off in Washington, D.C., which is what I thought as soon as he was elected and heard his inauguration speech. I was like, oh, my God, we're in a lot of trouble. There's going to be violence if he's not reelected. And fortunately, the violence uh, was minimized uh, due to the work of a lot of courageous Capitol Police and other people working behind the scenes who understood the depth of the Russian influence and the Christian right influence. Anyway, you know, the most powerful thing that uh, helps people exit, in my opinion, are former members who are happy and fulfilled and successful because it goes directly opposite all the phobia indoctrination that your life's going to be crap. If you leave, you'll never amount to anything. And I get to be like, I'm married. I have a kid. I got four books working on a fifth. You know, I I'm teach around the world. I scuba dive in Fiji and all kinds of cool places. You know, I love to dance and I love music. And I have great friends. I belong to a great Jewish temple community for 20 plus years. Well, you're thriving. So you can you can say life sucks leaving the Moonies. But trust me, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time. No, I think that's really important. It's exactly why I, I very specifically post positive things on my social to, to show that I'm doing well. And, and I yeah. am. And we both are. And, we're, and we're, we're very lucky. And I'm very happy to say that. But you reminded me of another question sure. that I had which is that when we left and we like recognized very quickly that we were not only in a cult and like Nippy said, we were relieved and also everything made sense. Like, oh, that's why he didn't want us to blah, 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 or have a good website. Like he never really wanted us to be successful. He just wanted a steady stream of income and fresh women essentially is what we've come to realize. Yep. Right. And, and then when I realized, okay, well, I've been brainwashed or I've been indoctrinated I didn't really understand that until I read your, um, I, I read Freedom of Mind first, and then I read Combating Cult Mind Control, and you explained very eloquently specifically how someone can sit in a room and on day three 
because I, I I don't know if you remember this from my book, but I was like, for day, first two days, I was like, this is bullshit. You know, what are you going to teach me? I hate Nancy's eyebrows. I hate the power suits. The food sucks. Like I was really not into it. And by day three, I was hooked. And then I read your book and I was like, oh. I said the same thing. I, I thought this was really <laughs> childish. I wanted out of there. And, and some that something happened on day three where I just got taken over. They, they had penetrated my defenses. So can you can you just explain that a little bit more for our listeners about specifically how someone can be indoctrinated? And maybe you could also explain the difference between indoctrination, mind control, undue influence, all these terms that gets batted around in this field that we're not even totally clear on. Or are they all the same thing? Just different ways of describing that process. You know, several, several points. One is that we as human beings have this self-aligning function where we want to minimize conflict or dissonance. So if we're sitting in a room and we're having these negative thoughts about the room and we're having these negative feelings, but we don't leave the room or leave the workshop, there's a rationalizing function to justify our behavior. Mm. And uh, at least in the Mooney indoctrination, there was a big up, like you're real so special and you're chosen and that's why you're here. And then there'd be a big downer about how everyone's suffering on the planet and you have a moral responsibility to save them. And then there's another up and then there's another down. But the bottom line is um, that your own inner voice, the one that says, this is crap, I want to leave. You are trained and indoctrinated to believe that's evil or that's not your authentic self. It's your lower self or your reactive mind, to use a Scientology term. Or our disintegrations. ESP to be our disintegrations. Right. So yeah. the, 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 the thing is, is the cult gets inside your head and you start, you, and it is like a hacking, <laughs> to use a computer term. Uh, or a virus, uh, a mind virus that gets inside of our brain that corrupts our operating system that says, now, wait a minute, I am my own adult self and I get to choose and I don't want to be here. So I'm walking out the door, even though I've spent. And that's why they want you to pay a lot of money right up front, because you want to try to justify the expenses worth it. Right. And, um, so there's this cognitive dissonance piece that is happening. I want to just share quickly a, a comment from James Comey, not my fan, not someone who I'm a fan of, but he did one of the best explanations of cognitive dissonance in talking about his time when he was uh, FBI director. He said, when you're in the room and the guy at the head of the table tells a lie and you think to yourself, that's a lie. And then he says another lie, and you say to yourself, that's a lie too. And then he tells another lie, and another lie, and another lie, and you don't challenge him on the lie or get up and walk out. He said, your soul bends. Mm. I just love that description, because when that's Really, when you see something that's not right, you want to act on it and you want to keep coming back to it's me, it's in my body, it's my life, it's my time, it's my money. I'm the consumer paying for this product. I'm not in service of them. They're in service of me. 
and exit. Okay, you got tricked. You do you, you ponied up a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. Your mind is worth more. Like get out. <laughs> Just walk out the door. Yeah, I really didn't want to waste my money. Yeah, well, you had some equity involved and you wanted to pay off and you were motivated to make it pay off, which is part of the, the con, right? You have to make the five days worth it. For the people who are like, you know, that can never happen to me, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's an old adage, if you don't think you brainwashed, it worked. I was the guy who had his arms folded and didn't think it could happen. And sure enough, I think that's one of the things that made me susceptible to it. So I didn't think it was possible. So I I know that we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to give a very important prescription from Steve Hassan after all the four and a half decades of doing this full time. And that is, how does anybody know if they're under mind control? Or how does anyone know if they're under undue influence? Right. And to answer your question, uh, Sarah, the terms are different. Like there's due influence, which is ethical influence and undue influence. Right. And indoctrination, you can be indoctrinated into something, but you know what it is that you're being indoctrinated into and you're getting paid and you have checks and balances and you can leave like the army or something like that. Mm -hmm. The the issue is informed consent, locus of control and and the bite model. Mm -hmm. But the prescription is the following. How do we know if we're under mind control? Number one, take time away from the group and your smartphones and all the connections. Like three days minimum, sleep, eat, walk in the woods, play with puppies, whatever, you know, whatever really Mm -hmm. resonates with your core self. Next, study models of mind control. And I recommend Lifton, Singer, and the Bite model. Like, learn what those are, right? Then, seek out critics and former members. Because when you're in a mind control group, part of the indoctrination is to be afraid of and to dismiss any critic or critical information, any news reports, uh, and people. Deliberately seek them out. From this neutral position, because you've taken a time out from the group and say, tell me why you're critical of the Moonies or Nexium or Scientology and really listen to them in conjunction with those models. Like a lot of people don't understand Hubbard was a hypnotist and the TRs are all hypnotic. That's why it works and why people report feeling so good. And, and and NLP is the primary technique that Nexium used, um, I might add. But then after you do, after you study the models, uh, talk to critics and former members, then you need to honestly reflect over your experience. Go back to the very beginning when you first heard of the group. What did you think you were getting into? In light of all of the things you've learned, and the critical question is, if I knew then what I know now, would I have ever said yes to that first Mm -hmm. thing? And if the answer is no way, Jose, I'm not, I'm not going to, these women are lying to me. They were in a religious group. There is no sex in the Moonies. They're flirting with you just to suck you in and for no other reason. It's like, that's what was all I was interested in. It was like, a date or, you know, maybe a girlfriend. 
So th that's the structure for any type of undue influences. You got to step back, learn what mind control is, talk to the critics and ex-members, honestly self-reflect, and then go back in time and say, what did I think I was getting into and would I have ever joined if I, if I knew then what I know now? And through that formula, people are walking out of all kinds of abusive relationships and, 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 and all types of cult groups. That's really helpful. Thank you. You know, we had a whole set of questions about your experience in the Moonies, and we might have to do a separate thing with you about, about QAnon. But I have just one question to kind of tie it all together for you right now. Reading about what happened with you in the Moonies and what you got into and, and the political activism, my question for you is now, What's it like for you to see what's happening in the U.S., specifically with QAnon and, and what you wrote about in the cult of Trump? What's that like for you to see the, such similar patterns politically and um, in such a cult-like way now that you know what you know? How does that feel for you? A nightmare. I've been living a nightmare. I, 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 I am back with my psychologist who I use to help me stay grounded amidst all the traumatic stories and stuff that I did. And when I first started with her, I said, I feel like there's a ticking clock. And if I don't get my work out, really bad things are going to are, are happening on the planet and they're getting worse. This was before Trump was elected. As soon as as soon as Trump was running, I already was saying, danger, 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 NLP techniques, you know, he's a criminal. I'm from New York. I grew up 1.3 miles from him. So it's been a nightmare for the last few years. And I cried when Biden was inaugurated. I was expecting a bomb to go off or an assassination bullet or something horrible because I've been watching all the media, social media about violence to overthrow the government. And I'm I'm just starting to breathe like, oh my goodness, sane, rational adult people are now in charge of the government. And, and yet, th this is, aside from global climate change, in my opinion, undue influence is the second most important issue on the planet right now. Because the dictators... The billionaires, elitists who want to abuse everyone and 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 harm people, have the tools, the AI, the computers, etc. So we really need mass education, and the people who are doing mind control don't want the public to know about it because it it will stop them from being effective. And they all want power, money, and sex. Those are the three universals of these malignant narcissists, power, money, sex. I remember when Trump was kicking the tires on the president uh, when I was in middle school, college, and finally as an adult. What? And he was laughed at the very first two, two times, literally laughed at when the, the thought was presented. What made it possible? Uh, I just read a book called Compromot with a K by Craig Unger. And Russia has been cultivating Donald Trump since the 70s as an asset. I've read something about that. I wrote about it in my book based on the research I did, but this is even more. And, and Epstein was involved with Putin and, 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 and videotaping all these famous people so that they could blackmail them and manipulate them. And it's very dark, but that's the future is we need to shed a light and on on who's doing what to whom 
And if we love democracy and we want women's rights and minority rights and human rights, we all need to stand up. And as you know, Sarah, and thank you for I got out, you know, if we can normalize and destigmatize the fact that intelligent, educated people can be deceived and manipulated, then we'll be doing a service to help the off-ramp for all these millions of people who've been taken and indoctrinated. Dr. Hassan, thank you so much for your time. We'll save the next questions for part two. That's right. (laughs) Thank you for your time. You're the best. Okay, deal. Thank you, guys. Love talking to him. He's very, like, he's analytical. He can evaluate things pretty well. It's a data-driven conversation. I love the bite model. That thing speaks to me. It's pretty comprehensive template for you to just kind of go boom, boom, boom. This is weird. I'm out. You know? Yeah. I like that. Now we have something moving forward when we're talking to people about all the different things that, that people want to hear about. Like how do you determine it, you know, is CrossFit a cult or is it a group of people who are, you know, like, is it a positive cult or, you know, can you leave at any time having that great list of criteria for people to reference um, is there deceptive recruitment? Um, is there fear of punishment? Do you have, are, are there phobias that are implemented? Those things are, are now things we can go back to and, and, and look at when we're analyzing things and, and coming up. And definitely want to have a, another episode where we get, do a deep dive on the QAnon and, and how all those things relate to the macro. Look forward to having another conversation with him and reading more about what he has to offer. But this brings us to the segment of our show that uh, people liked in our first one. So we're going to keep, we're just kicking the tires on this one. Um, it's called that really chaps my ass. And while I have a laundry list of things that chap my ass, Sarah's been begging me to do the first one. And I acquiesced. So Sarah, this is the segment of our show. What really chaps your ass? Okay. So I have, I do have a list, but we'll just keep it to one for now. One a show. So one a show, one a show. And it can't be about me. Nothing about not... you chaps my ass, my love. Okay. You're, right. You right. are perfection. As you were. You were like a Onward. Greek. Onward. You're like a statue of David with Go your. On. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what really chaps my ass was one time, I'm going to stick on the theme of getting in trouble with Nancy. One time I took her to my favorite raw food restaurant in Vancouver because everyone was vegetarian. And this was like this upscale, gorgeous restaurant restaurant called Organic Lies, which no longer exists. And I was so excited. And she looked at the menu and she got so agitated. And she said, everything in this menu has garlic. Did you forget that I had a garlic allergy? And I'm like, um, I, well, I didn't, A, I didn't know. And B, there's lots, I'm sure you can, I, I mean, I got so flustered because I thought this was like the perfect place to bring her. And she got mad at me saying, you're doing this. This is what you want. You're not thinking about what anyone else and basically called me selfish and like a bunch of shit. But later I found out and I was like, why does everyone in Albany, especially the women, have this garlic allergy? And I found out once we left after speaking to a number of the women who were no longer part of his inner circle, that Keith requested that the women not eat garlic because it made their... um, hmm, I don't know how to say this properly on a podcast. Vaginas, Sarah. I mean, what are you holding back? I mean, we're talking about branding. Like you, you act like we we entered some PG. Well, it wasn't necessarily realm. their we're vaginas, but like their the the juice, like the taste. No, okay. we understand. But, yeah. <laughs> You're the one struggling. It's just now. a little bit awkward. No, no. All these women were were avoiding garlic because Keith didn't like the taste of it. 
on them. So which part chaps your ass? The fact that she got upset with you? That <laughs> the whole thing. The whole thing the, chaps my ass. The garlic and the that like okay. This, right. well, and, and and then but two, also that like three. she was giving me shit for my gluten intolerance, right? And like that's a I mean, I still think that's a real thing. Maybe it's not. Some people are like, whatever, it's you know point taken. No, like, point okay. taken. We understand why my your ass, ass is chapped. A I got in trouble. Yeah. B she's lying. And like C Nancy was having sex with him too. Like, what the fuck? Right? It's just the whole thing chows my ass. I think that's a pretty good one. That's a good one. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. And thank you all for listening to our second episode of A Little Bit Culty. Just, just a little, little bit. A little bit culty. Stay away from the garlic. Sink and down to the depths of the ocean. Let's keep the conversation going. We'll be back soon with more episodes of A Little Bit Culty with more experts and survivors. And sometimes experts who are survivors, as well as some familiar faces from The Vow from HBO. If you've got suggestions or questions on upcoming topics, find us on Instagram at A Little Bit Culty. And for more background on what brought me here, my memoir, Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life, is available on Amazon, Audible, and where most books are sold if you'd like to help us spread the word about a little bit culty podcast please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe seriously like take out their phone and tell them to press subscribe takes a second we're also available on apple Podcasts, spotify and every major listening app and if you're listening on a smartphone tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast to find show notes and helpful resources you might also find some offers from our sponsors there and when you support our, our sponsors you help us keep this podcast going just don't be a little bit culty about it a Little Bit Culty is executive produced by me, your co-host, Sarah Edmondson, and Anthony Nippy Ames. That's me. Associate producer is Jess Tardy. Produced, edited, mixed, and mastered by Citizens of Sound. Our amazing theme song, Cultivated, is by John Bryant and co-written by Nigel Asselin. Additional original music is composed by Will Rutherford. I'm Sarah Edmondson, and thanks for listening to A Little Bit Culty.